Alright, I want you to notice verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. What I want to preach about tonight, this morning is defeating the devourer. We see here in this passage where Peter is writing to save people that he warns them that Satan, he's out there like a lion seeking whom he may devour. Now that tells me that Satan, even if we're saved, is capable of devouring us. And I don't know about you, I don't want to get devoured by Satan. Now, you know, here's the question. What does that mean to get devoured? Because, I mean, if I wanted to, I could come along and say, well, this proves you can lose your salvation. I mean, obviously, the devil devouring you would equal you not going to heaven, right? Well, no, that's not what that indicates at all. And if we uh, just, you know, look, you know, do a little bit of study, I think we can figure out exactly what this means. And this isn't what the message is all going to be about. But I want you to know, you know, because I do think sometimes as Christians, we can get a little cocky because of our eternal security. You know, because of the fact that we can never lose our sonship in Christ, we can never lose our salvation, you know, there's not a chance of us going to hell. A lot of times we do. We can get careless in our walk with Christ and we can start uh, slipping. We can start sinning and thinking we're just going to get away with it. And we don't realize that even though we're going to still go to heaven, we could still be devoured by Satan here on this earth. And it's a bad thing when that happens. I don't want that. I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want that to happen to anybody here. And I like what it says in this verse because I think this gives us an idea of what it means to be devoured by Satan. But notice how it refers to him as our adversary. And I like that. Your adversary, the devil. I like to think of him as an adversary. You know, we've got a generation today in Christianity, a lot of preachers today, who they're trying to figure out how they can be a Christian, how they can have a church and not have any enemies. And a lot of people will brag on the lack of enemies they have. And a lot of times, too... You know, people like me, I, I get criticized because of all the criticism that I get. I mean, I've had pastors, you know, not IFB pastors, but I've had, you know, some, some of these you know, trendy types that have literally, I mean, sided with reprobates before and think, well, you must have done something to make them hate you. You know, obviously, you're not showing the love of Jesus because, you know, if you were more like Christ, they would treat you like Christ. It's like forgetting they crucified Jesus. I mean, even just this week, I, I got hammered by a bunch of Jews because I tweeted about being against Hanukkah. Amen. And I got, I mean, you should see all the grief that I got on Twitter from that. And then you've got Christians. And, and, and I don't mind that. I don't mind that. I mean, these people are unsaved. They're as lost as you can be. I don't mind that. I'm not phased by that at all. But then when Baptists look at me like, you know, you must not be like Christ, because look at how the Jews treated Christ. You know, they, you know, nobody said that, but that's kind of how they act. And it's like, well, I and, I and I'm looking at this reaction, and I'm actually feeling pretty good about it, because I'd like to think that if I, you know, I, I, that if I were, you know, if I, that I'd like to think I'm like Christ, and so wouldn't the Jews treat me the same way they treated Christ? And so, uh, you know, I don't, it didn't make me feel bad at all. But people are running from that today. And it's like, you know, the truth is, we have an adversary. The, the devil, and he's walking about seeking whom he may devour. And so what does that mean? Well, and again, I think, it just, I, bas I think it just basically means to defeat us. 
He's our adversary. He's our opponent. And I, I just believe that word devour is just a, a euphemism, a strong word for uh, when you're just utterly, completely defeated. And a lot of times we use words like that. You know, when it comes to a basketball game, if you lose by one point, you lose, you're defeated, right? But if you lose by 50 points, you know, we say things like, man, you, they, they annihilated you. They destroyed you. We use bigger words for that because of the fact that it was such a, a big defeat to where, too, it was such a big defeat, you know, the last thing you want to do is go up against them again because now you're intimidated. If it was close, you know, then you might be motivated to get out there and to try again. But, you know, when Satan, you know, what he wants to do, he wants to devour us. He wants to destroy us. He wants to sift us, he wants to sift us as wheat. Like Jesus told Peter, he's, he's wanting to shake us up. He's wanting to render us useless. And so understand, because as a Christian, just because we're saved, it does not mean our work's done. In fact, our work is just starting. We're supposed to be bringing people to Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be growing in Christ, becoming more like Him. We're supposed to be promoting righteousness. There's all these things that we're supposed to be doing. And if Satan can get us away from those things... He can render us useless as a Christian. We're not doing the work of the Lord. We're not getting anybody saved. And you could say at that point, he has defeated us in that sense. He has devoured us. If he can get you as a Christian to stop doing everything that a Christian is supposed to do, you know what? You've been devoured at that point. That your adversary has defeated you. He has stopped you from doing what you're, what you're supposed to be doing. And so... Uh, I want to make sure I remain an adversary to the devil. I want to make sure that I continue working against him. And so there's, so there's a lot of ways you could use this. I mean, you could say that um, you know Satan often devours us in the sense of just defeating us in a specific battle. But you know, I think here what Peter's warning us about is probably a little more of that. I think it's just a warning for us to not just be rendered completely useless. To where we can't come back. And that can happen too. You know, as a pastor, I could be devoured in the sense of I could disqualify myself as a pastor and not be able to do what I'm doing. You know, I could still do other things, but I wouldn't be able to do this. And I don't want Satan to devour me in that area, but that can happen. He, but I believe it could go even farther too. I mean, where he can devour us in a way where I'll never have any impact again uh, as a Christian. And it says in Hebrews 10.26, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. And so I do. I believe that word is just a strong word, just kind of showing an utter and a complete defeat. And I, I don't want that. I don't think any of us here want that. And I believe the things that we need to do to avoid that, because it can happen. He's looking, seeking whom he may devour. And we should probably ask ourselves that question, well, who may he devour? Because, you know, there's some people he can't devour. I, Satan's going to devour anyone he can, but he can't just get anybody. He can't go after anybody he wants. But I, So I want to know who that person is that he can devour so I cannot be that person. I want to know what I'm supposed to be doing to avoid that. And so here in verse 8, where he's telling us, be sober, be vigilant. He's giving us a warning about an adversary. I think what we need to do is look at what was talked about before. And I think we see here in chapter 5 what we need to do 
to avoid being that prey, to avoid being that one who is devoured and rendered completely useless. And so the first thing we need to do to avoid being devoured is make sure we are well fed. Make sure we are well fed. Notice what it says in verse 1. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So he's telling the shepherds here, first he's speaking to the shepherds of the church, and you know what he's telling them to do? Feed the flock of God. You need to take care of them. They need to be well fed. And let me tell you something, lack just physically, lack of nutrition, it weakens you physically, doesn't it? If you're not getting a proper diet, you're going to become weak. I mean, just go a short time without eating and we feel very weak. We feel faint. We feel like we're going to die sometimes. You get dizzy. All these things happen. We lose control of our emotions when we go a little while without eating. Some of you just go without coffee and it's just all of a sudden it's like a Jekyll and Hyde thing you get going on. And, you know, there's, but we all need, we all need that proper nutrition. Otherwise we're going to be weak. And, you know, a steady diet, and just because you're eating something doesn't mean you're getting proper nutrition. Because let me tell you something too, a steady diet of sweets will weaken you and slow you down significantly. And let me tell you, you know, we all like sweets. We all like the junk. And you know, there's a lot of churches out there. I mean, they are. They're like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory when it comes to the nutrition that you're getting. I mean, it looks beautiful. I mean, you walk in there and it's like, if you want to view paradise, simply look around and view it. Anything you want to do it, you know, and they, and you go in there and man, they feed you all those, everything that you would want, everything your flesh would want. They're not giving you anything you need. They're not giving anything of any real value. And listen, we've all seen Willy Wonka and we've all imagined going in there and just having a time. And you know what? It'd be great to do that. And if I got an opportunity to go in a place like that, I would go and I would have a good old time. But you know, you can't do that every day. You can't do that every week. And I'm all for having some fun. And you know what? Every once in a while, you know, maybe as a pastor, I want to give you all some sweets, uh, you know, as a pastor. And so I'll give you some, I'll give you some stuff that's enjoyable. You know, maybe we'll just go after the reprobates in a sermon. You know, that's a sweet sermon, folks. That doesn't help you spiritually or anything like that. But, you know, you all like it. Hey, you know, holidays, okay. All right, it's, it's Hanukkah right now. So guess what we're getting tonight? Okay, or, you know, and you know, and I'm going to try to teach you some things and I'm going to try to throw in some healthy stuff and get you some vitamins and minerals in there that you need. We're going to try to do that too. But you know, let's just face it. Some of you are just going to enjoy, you know, you're, you're going to do like Kelly did. There's a donut in my office where all the frosting is eaten off the top and the rest of it's left. Okay. And that's all some people get out of a lot of sermons, you know, there's like, you know, you throw in some sweets and some extra things on there and they just take that and they leave the rest of it. Yeah. And that's how, that's how some people in church, church are. But let me tell you, you can't, that can't be all you do. That can't be all that you get. And proper spiritual nutrition is port is important. And let me tell you something. You can feed yourself in reading your Bible and you should do plenty of your own eating 
plenty of your own devotions, all that kind of stuff. But let me tell you something. You need to be fed in church too. And I didn't come up with this. This is what God prescribed. This is what God designed. And He's telling the shepherds here to feed the flock of God. That's part of what we're supposed to do. And you say, well, you know, why do we even have to have a pastor? Why is that even important? And I, and you know, I think it's the same reason. Sometimes you need a dietitian in your life. And, and here, because it says in Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. Those people that are in leadership in a church, they are supposed to be watching for your souls. They're supposed to be looking out over the flock. And here's the truth. When it comes to our diet, most of us just eat whatever we feel like eating, don't we? That's just kind of how we are. And the thing is, the, the things we eat, the effects of those things often aren't seen for many years. One of these days, I'm probably going to hate Dr. Pepper, you know, once, uh, you know, and, and you know, and, I, and I'm 41 now and I'm already starting to see some of the effects. You know, I mean, I eat way more healthy than my boys, yet they're in way better shape than I am. You know, why is that? Well, you know, it's because I had the same kind of diet as them, but you know, my body is just getting older, can't handle those things. And so I'm getting the long-term effects. You know, it, you, you start to see them, uh, feel them. And the thing is, someone who is a nutritionist, okay, and I'm talking in the, phys, you know, the medical world, they're working with people every day, and they're dealing with people who are farther down the road than you are. So the thing is, you know, when you have, if, if your job every day is just working with people on their nutrition, you're talking to people from all different ages, and they're especially talking to a lot of people who don't mess with them until they need them. And you know, and they are they they find out about their diet, they find out about their routines, and then they start noticing patterns. Boy, all these people who ate at McDonald's all the time, you know, they're all seeming to struggle with weight and things like that. I think there must be something to this. You know, and but you do, you know, you have that cocky seventeen year old who can go and order two double quarter pounders and eat them and, you know, it doesn't really do anything to them right then. But the thing is, that person, they, that nutritionist, they see farther down the road and so often they know what you need to do, what you need to change. And it's the same thing spiritually. Most of the problems that we have are not really that unique. We like to think that our situations are so unique we're the only one who ever's faced these kind of problems. But the truth is, we have major cultural issues in our country. And there are certain things that almost everybody's taken in today. And it's whatever, you know, Hollywood, it's whatever the television is putting out. And I know, I, uh, you know I've seen people before, they've been impressed with doctors. I remember there's this one doctor that my dad liked, and he was always impressed how he brought an elderly lady in one time, and they brought all her pills and everything, but he didn't show them the pills. He's like, I don't even need to see them. He started checking on this lady. And he's like, she's taking this and this and this. He like knew everything she was taking just by looking her over. My dad was just like really impressed. And I remember thinking, I know how I did that. It's because doctors are all giving everybody the same junk. It's all the same thing. Right now, you know what your medication's supposed to be? The vaccine. That's what, you know, that's what everybody's supposed to be getting. And then if everybody starts coming in with all these weird, you know, you know, when, when, your, when kids are having heart problems, I could probably guess what medication they've been taking. You know what the first question I'm going to ask? Did they get the COVID vax? And then all of a sudden, 
how did you know that? You know, it's just, and the thing is, when everybody's doing something and we're seeing mass effects that are similar, that's a pretty good clue. We probably shouldn't do something that they're all doing. And let me tell you something. When it comes to this world that we live in, everybody's doing pretty much the same junk. Everybody's, wa- everybody's taking in the same filth on television. They're watching the same foolishness on the news media. And then we're seeing everybody's having this. I mean, the, you know, the political views that people have. How could people, I mean, are, are they mentally deficient that they you know, think socialism is a good thing? I mean, there's people out there I was just arguing with recently that are from places like Australia who think everything's great over there and are like praising their government. And I'm like, what are they, what are they putting in that vaccine? You know, you know, what, what, what are, what are they giving you people over there that you think that's okay? What's going on? They've got a steady diet of just propaganda. They're all watching the same thing on the television, you know, and then, you know, and if you're somebody who you're not watching that stuff, you don't, you're not getting the regular programming that you're supposed to be getting. We have a very different outlook on things. And, and so the thing is, when we start seeing certain things happen, when all of a sudden there's this mass increase in LGBT people, you know, we all ask ourselves, why is this all of a sudden happening? You know, and it's like, I think it has something to do with the program you're getting on TV. I think it has something to do with what they're promoting in the public school system. We don't have that kind of thing going on. But yet we hear them talking about these percentages of these people popping up in all these different groups. And then we look around here and we're like, you know, we got 0%. You know, and it's like, well, it's because you all throw them out. Actually, we haven't. We haven't thrown any out. They're, they're, they're not here. Why is that? You know why? Because we're not taking in the same things. Because, you know, we've, we've been around long enough, okay, and, you know, and, and I'm not trying to take all the credit for it, but as a pastor, I've been around long enough that I know that when you bring certain things into the church, it tends to bring that problem with it. And so, you know what we do? We keep that stuff out. We, we, we're given the proper nutrition here. We're given the right kind of preaching that it's going gonna, it's gonna to scare that stuff away and it's going to keep it out of all of you. It's going to keep that kind of thing from growing in you and from you becoming that. See, we, we understand these things and that's part of my job as a pastor. I'm, you know, and, and what I do, I'm looking out for the souls of people. I'm counseling with people. I'm talking to people on a regular basis and, and dealing with all these problems. And you do, you start figuring out after a while, hey, you know what? This is some things everybody had in common. And you know, when you're talking to that person whose marriage is falling apart, whose life's falling apart, who they're having all these family problems, their kids are out of control, and you start finding out, they're doing all these things. You know what it makes you start doing as a pastor? It makes you start hating those things. And you know what you do? You start preaching against those things. That's what you end up doing. And then it helps everybody else where if you are that person, if you, you know, and you don't have spiritual leaders in your life and other people looking out for you spiritually, it's real easy for you to just start taking some of that stuff in because your flesh likes it. There's a reason the world's getting caught up in that this stuff. The flesh likes it. And you start taking it in and you don't realize what it's doing to you. You don't realize how it's changing you and how it's affecting your thinking. And one of these days, you know, after several years when it's too late, you're all of a sudden you're going to be having the same problems everyone else is having. And so you need people in your life that are watching for these things, watching the souls. And then you need to pay attention when they're saying, hey, avoid that stuff. 
And you know what? We all probably should have, you know, those, you know, we all hate the food Nazis, but we probably should have some of those people in our life. People that make us feel bad when we're drinking, drinking that soda and eating all those sweets and things. Leave us alone in the holidays, all right? In the holidays, let us have fun. But, you know, the rest of the time, you know, you know so we don't like it, but it's probably a good thing. And, you know, sometimes a pastor, he is, he's kind of like that food Nazi in the church that, you know, that just everything you guys ate all week spiritually, it's like the pastor's always getting up and preaching against that. Well, he's seen the effects of these things. Don't want to happen to you. You know, if you're, you know, you've seen the families who let their kids watch Glee all the time and then they're wondering why they're a homo. It's like, you know what? I, I like the Glee. I like some of the music on there. But you know what? Pastor's preaching against it because he doesn't want your kid getting sucked into that stuff. I get it. At your age, you're probably not going to. But your kids seeing that stuff all the time, they're going to, they're going to pick up on it. And so te- the things that teenagers notice, if I may get a little sidetracked here, because like my kids are always noticing these things that are like trends amongst young people. They're always teaching me what they are. And, and then you know, my boys... They like encourage some of these things in my little girls. Like, you know, you might notice Kelly's got these new white tennis shoes on today. And apparently it's like a white girl thing to wear white tennis shoes. Uh, and, and they were showing all these videos and pictures of things like these groups of white girls and they're all wearing white tennis shoes. And it's just, it's the, it's the style or whatever right now. And so they literally had Kelly out yesterday doing these white girl poses and things too that they all do. And I would never even notice these things. But then, you know, you go, you look on Instagram and stuff, and all the girls are doing this. And it's like, you know, who tells them these things? But young people, they're all trying to just figure out who they are. They're, they're not really their own person yet. And you've got to understand, Hollywood, the news media, all they are trying to tell them who to be. How they should act. What they should wear. How they should do their hair. All these things. And folks, you better watch what your kids are taking in and all this stuff. Otherwise, you're going to have your two-year-old daughter, you know, in white shoes. And I guess doing, doing this pose or something, I guess that's like, that's like something the white girls do. I don't know. I don't understand these things. But they will. They'll point these things out to me and then I start seeing it everywhere. And then it drives me nuts. And, and I never even, like the, like the e-boy haircut. I never noticed that. I never heard of it. But all of a sudden... My boys mentioned to me, you know, guys, they have this curly hair. They kind of let it grow out, and it's always curly. And now I'm noticing, like, boys everywhere have curly hair now. What has happened? What, what is this? And, and, and it drives me nuts now. And I see that, and I just get angry, you know. And us adults, we're often the last ones to notice these things. But your kids pick it up quick. And so you, you've got to watch what you are taking in on a regular basis. Otherwise, you're going to have all the same problems everybody else is having. And I, I don't want my kids looking like homos. I don't want my kids getting caught up in all these fads and things. And so I've got to make sure I'm giving them something different. It's like, you know what? We're going to have to come up with a different diet. And we're not going to, we're not going to take this stuff in. And so, you know, again, a lot of the, what I'm going to do when I start seeing these things and you start noticing the effect, start preaching against that stuff. And you know what? I'm probably going to have to preach a sermon eventually. I'm looking around right now and thank God I don't have to right now because obviously you guys aren't getting the same diet, but I don't need to preach against boys getting perms right now. But apparently that's what they're doing. That's how they're, because I was just like, 
You know, some people have naturally curly hair. If you have naturally curly hair, you have naturally curly hair. You know, but like all the boys have curly hair now. And I and I, I asked the boys like, what's happening? Is it in our something in our water? No, like no, they get perms. Folks, when I was growing up, boys didn't get perms. Okay? Women got perms. I can't even imagine when my sister was going to beauty school to learn how to cut hair and everything. She had to, uh, you know, get so many hours, do so many haircuts. There's all these things that they had to do. And so I started going over to her beauty school to do it just to help her get the numbers and things she was supposed to have and all these things. And I went there to the beauty school to get my hair cut one time. And I was like, I'm never going back here again because there was all it, the place was full of women. There's all these women getting perms. and They had all these curlers and things in their hair. And they just looked like they were loving it, too. And I was just like, I, I, it made me feel too gay going in there. And I was like, I'm not coming here anymore. You can cut my hair at the house. And I'll help you get your haircuts that way. I never went back there again. Boys are going to these places now. And volunteer, get, not getting a haircut, getting a perm. And so, I'm sorry, that's effeminate. And it's still, it's, you know, you show me in the Bible where you can't get a, where a guy can't get a perm. It's effeminate, okay? I'll show you where the Bible talks about being effeminate. We gotta define that somehow. And let me tell you something, going and getting a perm is effeminate. I don't know how I got preaching on that, but I'm just telling you right now, you know, we've gotta watch what you're taking in. It's having an effect. And dads, if your boys ask if they can go to the beauty salon and get a perm, you need to ask them, what have you been eating? Spiritually speaking, what have you been watching? What's making you want to, want to do this kind of thing? Because I never one time even thought about asking my dad for... I, I never, I, the thought never even crossed my mind. Never crossed my mind. But this is, this is 2021. And you say, well, you know what? You're just behind the times and you need to get with the times. No. I refuse. <laughs> Will not comply. I'm not, I'm not going along with that. It's wrong. So... I spent way too much time on that, but hopefully you all got the message here. But look at verse 5. So we got to make sure we are well fed. We need to have that, we need to have that strength and uh, avoid all the junk. We need to make sure we stay humble. It says in verse 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you. In due time. Did you know, in all, if, if we're going to make it, we've got to make sure we stay humble. Again, we're getting too cocky, and that's why the devil ends up able to take advantage of us. A lot of people, they're not able to get fed. They're not taking the food that's give, being given to them in church because they all think, oh, I know better. You know, I can figure these things out for myself. You know what? Just have some humility. And you know what? Just go with what God prescribed. It was, it was God that came up with this thing about church. We all need it. Well, I think I'm better than that pastor. Well, and you might be right, but at the end of the day, I'm the one that God put here. You probably should take advantage of the things that you're hearing, and you should probably listen. I think I'm above that. That's why you have to humble yourself. And you know what? It takes humility. It takes humility to listen to somebody else. Just like it, you know, it it would be a humbling thing to me to go to a dietitian. It'd be a humbling thing to me to go to somebody, and you know, and just. All right, what am I doing wrong? You know, and the thing is, too, most of us already know what we're doing wrong. But at the same time, too, we often don't know how to replace replace it. A lot of people, when they're trying to lose weight, they just quit eating. Well, that's not really the way to go either, because you need some nutrition. 
Uh, you know, you need to know, you need to know what to eat. And there's a lot of things and, you know, that, to factor in when you're a different age, you know, between, you know, male and female, I mean, depending on the type of work you do, there's a lot of things you have to factor in. And sometimes we just need to say, you know, I don't know as much as I think. Yeah, I did read an article on the internet, but I'll bet these people who do this type of thing for a living probably know a little more than I do and could probably help me out. And we should probably take advantage of those things, but it takes humility. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We all know that. Pride is always going to get us in trouble. And we've got to realize Satan is stronger than we are. Our adversary is stronger than we are. And, and But you know, you might think 1 John 4, 4. Look what it says in 1 John 4, 4. It says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So understand, we're only greater because of who is in us, right? But we also need to remember that the one who is inside of us also resists the proud. I mean, it says right here, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And before that, he said, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So the only reason I can defeat Satan is because of who is in me. But if I'm doing something that the one who is in me hates that's going to cause him to work against me, then I'm no match for Satan at that point. I'm fair game. If I get lifted up with pride, I don't need church. I don't need the things of God. I can feed myself. I can take care of myself and all these things. You know what? I'm good. You know what? My pride has now got me in trouble with God. He's resisting me. I am so vulnerable to Satan right now, it's not even funny. And I haven't got a chance on my own. None of us have a chance on our own against Satan. Our only hope against Satan is the one who is inside us. So we better do what he tells us to do. And you know what he's told us to do? Humble yourselves. Lord, what, what do you need me to do? And, okay, and listen, I, you all know me. I'm not about just, I don't want to tell everybody what to do. I don't want to be everybody's authority. But you know what? Sometimes God might say, you know what? You probably should listen to some counsel. You probably should go talk to the pastor. You probably should seek out some help in this area. Oh, I don't want to do that. You've got to humble yourself, folks. We got to, it's, it's, it is. It can be a hard thing, but we got to do it. Otherwise, we're wide open for Satan. And so the key to staying humble is being in submission. It's not just about an attitude. You know, a lot of people will tell you that they're humble, but you know they can't prove it. They're not living it. And we see here the way we stay that we stay humble is we're we're subject to one another. Even as a pastor, I should be. I'm subject to the church in the sense that you know I'm not just like this ruler you know, with unquestionable authority. You know, my authority is given to me by the church and I ought to be willing to submit in areas when it's necessary too. And in areas where, because uh, there are some areas where I don't have authority and I need to make sure that I have the same attitude and that requires humility too. A lot of pastors do not have the humility to do that and that's why they're just like an all-powerful dictator. And, and you can often, and usually those who are all-powerful dictators Pride is very prevalent in their life. And humility is nowhere to be found. You know what? They're in violation of 1 Peter 5. And you know what? They're in danger too because that's one of the things that was warned about in the qualifications of a bishop. Well, you know, not a novice is being lifted up with pride. He fall in the condemnation of the devil. When you get lifted up with pride, um, Satan is right there waiting for you. And he will get you. He will devour you. So verse 7 says... Casting all your care upon him, for he careth 
for you. We must, if we're going to keep from getting devoured, we must remain dependent on God. We cannot carry the burdens of this world on our own. We cannot defeat Satan on our own. We can't do it. We have to remain dependent. We, just like we put all our faith and trust on Christ for salvation, we need to put our faith and trust in Him for everything. And, and listen, this does not mean that we are these do-nothing Christians. Okay? You know, to get saved, God said, here's what we did. God said, trust me and do nothing. And we trusted him and we do nothing. He literally said to repent of the dead works and to trust in the son. And so when we get, we get saved, when we get saved, we are obeying what he said to do. Cause a lot of people struggle with that. No, I got to do something. No, listen to God, trust him on this and just trust in what Jesus did. Don't bring your own offering. Don't bring your own works. That's what we do when we get saved. But when it comes to everything else in life, we need to have the same level of trust. where just like we did exactly what God said and we just trusted him for our salvation. We should do exactly what he says in other areas. When it comes to our Christian walk, we should do what God said to do. That's faith right there. I want to see people get saved. Well, you need to have faith. What does that mean? Just trust God? No. He didn't say just trust in that. He said go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I, I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good father. Okay, right, well, how are you going to be a good husband and a good father? Have faith. What does that mean? I'm just trusting God to make sure everything turns out good? No. You do what God said to do. You love your wives. You cherish your wife. You know, you raise those kids, you discipline those kids, you do all those things that God said to do. You be obedient just like you were with salvation when you just trusted him. That's what, so the thing is, having faith, a lot of people have this attitude that having faith is just doing nothing. And no, that is not the case. Having faith is being obedient and doing what God said to do. And when you got saved and you believed on him, you did what he said to do. You just trusted him. But every other, all these other areas, God's actually told us to do some works, and you better do those works. You better do those works, and that's how you have faith. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. We could talk a lot about that. But Hebrews 5, 9, so I don't even like you saying we're being obedient when we get saved. Well, in Hebrews 5, 9, it says, "...and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him." So again, when you trust in him, you're obeying him. When you believe on him, when you repent of those dead works and trust in him then you're, that is obedience to him. And when you reject the free gift and you try to work for it, you're disobeying him. So again, this obedience is not about my performance of the law. It's about me just trusting him, which is what he said to do in this situation. I could give a lot of illustrations, but we're not going to do that. I think you all get it. So faith is not just doing nothing. And we need to make sure we remain dependent on God and then lastly, we need to make sure we fight back. First Peter 5.9 says, Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. And like we talked about in the beginning, most people today are doing everything they can to avoid the battle. But you know what? We've been called, we've been called to fight. And if you do nothing, okay? You've been called to fight. You've been called to resist Satan. He's supposed to be your adversary. If you do not resist him, then you know what that means? Out of fear, out of intimidation, then you know what? He defeated you. He devoured you. 
You know, I don't want to get devoured, but I don't want to fight either. Well, you know what? You don't fight, you got devoured. End of story. It's like, it would be like being on a basketball team and saying, I want to, you know, I want to be a part of the team, but I don't want to get beat, so I'm just going to go out there, but I'm not going to play. Well, then you're going to get beat. If you don't shoot, you know, shoot the basketball, if you don't defend anybody, they're going to walk all over you. And a lot of people, that is their Christian walk today. They're just trying to do everything they can to avoid getting hurt, to avoid getting in a fight, to avoid any conflict. Folks, you've already been devoured at that point. Your adversary won. He defeated you. He rendered you useless through fear, through intimidation. He got you to forfeit. To me, that's even worse. Get forfeiting. And that's even worse than actually losing and getting beat. Because then they can just get up and say whatever they want that they were going to do to you. And that you knew it. And either way, when you refuse to fight, you've been devoured. Jude 1.3 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So we're, we, this is something we've been called to do. And Satan wants to devour us because we are an adversary to him. We oppose him. We're working against him. We're hurting his kingdom, but if we do nothing in order to avoid attacks, we just made his job easy. And we lost. And let me tell you, you know, a lion is stronger than a gazelle. But you know, I've seen videos before where some of those gazelles were able to get their horn into the side of a lion and hurt him pretty bad. They still died. But you know what? They made that lion regret coming after him. And you say, I don't, I don't know if I can defeat Satan. Well, you know what? I'd like to at least make him regret coming after me. You know, there's people out, you know, if, if somebody ever, if I got mugged or something, I'm not just going to be like, oh, well, I'm looking at that guy. He's bigger than me. He's stronger than me. I'm probably not going to beat him up. All right, I'm just going to let him beat me up. No, you at least want to make him regret coming after you. You at least want to get a few good swings in, you know, leave them hurting. You know, you want to give them something to remember you by. And you know what? Sometimes, I mean, we do, sometimes the battle just might be too tough. You know, there's a lot of reasons we can fail and mess up. But you know what? I at least want to try to do some damage. And I'm telling you right now, you have to resist. You have to be the resistance. And I'm telling you, too many people today, just too many saved people, a lot of churches, a lot of pastors, it's like they're just going through life, going through the motions of having church. And the last thing they want to do is get on anyone's radar. The last, last, and you know, listen, I'm not anxious to get, I've gotten more attention than I ever thought I would get at this church, more than I even want. I'm not looking for it, but you know, I'm not hiding from it either. I refuse to hide from it. I'm going to preach the truth and I'm going to, you know, we're going to get it out there the best we can. And you know, and if attacks come our way, oh well, you know, we're, we're in the fight. Now let's do some damage. You know, let, let's, let's hurt the devil the best we can. But you know, the truth that lions, Typically, who they go after when they're going after, you know, when they see that herd, they typically go after the weak and the strays. And so, understand, if you're in the battle, if you're in the fight, if you are that force to be reckoned with, you know, chances are, you're, you're going to be, it's not chances are, you will be better off. You will be better off in these things. Satan's looking who for whom he made of our, and that person who's well-fed, who's humble, serving the Lord, who's resisting, who's dependent on God, who's got faith and obedient to him, Satan's going to see that, like, I can't do anything with these people right now. 
But I'm going to tell you right now, if, if you are that person right now, he's still watching you because he sees what you're accomplishing. And you know what he's doing? He's just waiting for you to get backslidden. He's just waiting for you to kind of take a break. He's just waiting for you to get some malnutrition. And then as soon as that happens, he's going to pounce on you. He's, he's watching. So to be devoured by Satan, it's not to lose your salvation, but it is to render you useless for the cause of Christ. And there's a lot of scriptural evidence that a saved person can become completely useless and worthless and even reprobate, you know, not in the sense of rejected by God for salvation, but that there you have no value to the things of God that your reprobate also can mean just worthless. And when you are, when you're that Christian who's just living, you know, living for the flesh, you do, you hurt things. You're like that guy we were talking about the other day, the drunk guy that was schooling Ray Comfort on the gospel. And, you know, we see, you realize that guy, because of his sinful condition, he has been used by people like Ray Comfort to just show how what we preach is false. And you know what? He didn't help our cause. It doesn't help our cause when a drunk. When, when you, you know, and you, 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 if you're right on the gospel, you're right on the gospel, thank God. But if you're out there just drunk, and you know, if you're out there shooting people up and doing all these things, but you're, oh, they're right on the gospel, I wish they weren't because they're making us look bad. You know, they're, they're, hurt, they're hurting the cause when we do that. You know what? They're, you're not helping anybody. By being wicked, you know, but you're, but you're right on those things, you've now become completely useless. And, and many people believe this, I believe this, that there can, there can even come a point in the life of a believer where God says, I gotta get rid of you. And you get turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. You know, for this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. I believe that there comes a point where a saved person can just cross the line and God's like, I, I got to get you out because you're doing too much damage. You're, you're pretty much working for the other side now. And good night, I really don't want that to be me. I, I would hate that. But you know what? I believe it can happen, that those things can happen to any of us. And we need to always remember we, got an, we have an adversary. It's the devil. He's stronger than we are. He's not stronger than God. But he's always looking. He's always on the hunt. He's always on the prowl. And all of us are capable of getting backslid, straying, and becoming prey for the devil where you can be devoured. And so I thank God I will never go to hell, but I could be devoured. And I don't want that. I want that for anybody here. So I hope this was a help. So let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that this message, Lord, will ever, we'll all take it serious. We'll take it to heart. We'll, and we'll never forget. I pray it's just, uh, want to put out a reminder that even though we're saved, uh, there's still some pretty bad things that can happen to us if we're, not careful if we don't stay close to you. And so, Lord, I pray that we'll all be renewed in our mind to stay well-fed, to stay in the Word, to stay around the things of God, to be humble, to be dependent on you, to be people of faith, to be obedient. And I pray you'll help us just be strong Christians. I pray we'll be a church that is resisting the devil, that's making a difference, that's shaking things up, and uh, that we will be uh, an adversary to the devil. And I pray you'll uh, just give us victory. In your name we pray. Amen.